What's up, fam? Welcome to another edition of Man to Man, a wellness series where we chop it up with other brothers to get their insight on how to go from hellness to wellness. I'm David Wazicki, your favorite certified transformational nutrition coach. And today we are back again with another great brother who is a licensed mental health professional, TEDx speaker, husband, father, veteran, and so much more. We're going to get into all of that. But first, let's give it up for the James Harris. What's up, James? Man, that was a heck of a welcome, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That. Absolutely. I want to jump in with the question we ask everybody around these parts. That's to get you man-to-man blue check certified. James, what does masculinity mean to you? So that's a that's a good question, but it's also an ironic one. I'm not one of those people who believe that um, masculinity is specifically for men or mm. males. I view the areas of masculinity, infinity, and femininity to like qualities and skills, just so everybody can be in tune with them, not specifically based on genitalia, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Like I don't think a man is weak or a woman is more dominant if they display characteristics that overlap to both Mm. of them, if that makes sense. So to me, it's no specific criteria of what masculinity is supposed to be. I don't subscribe to that notion. I love that. That's a first. Again, no, no two men have yet to answer this question the same way twice. So I appreciate you for that. And um, definitely certified on, on that note. You know, there's a lot, again, where I can get started, but I think it's good to start from the beginning. And to go back to, you know, your early days where uh, essentially you ended up in the uh, Virginia foster care system. If, if you could just speak on that, like, how did you end up in that scenario and, and what was that like? So I think when people think ward of the state or foster care and group homes, which I was, you know, in all of those yeah. things, it, it was they it probably got a negative de- connotation to them just based on what you see in movies and stuff like that. But for my situation and many other situations, uh, it was an unfortunate one. My dad died when I was five. My mom got sick with uh epilepsy and and uh strokes um when I was about 10 you know so for for the longest time um of course like I'm I'm the oldest of uh three I got a younger brother and a younger sister but for the longest time you know we were doing everything we could within the home to sustain it although she was having strokes and epilepsy seizures and stuff um it wasn't as a big deal but I think one one day that drew the red flag to um, Department of Social Services was um, she had a stroke and she was unresponsive. And this was one of the days that the uh, nurse had left or didn't come in or something like that. So, of course, you know, Cotton called the ambulance at 10 years old. They respond. They viewed it as, hey, if this happened again, like you're 10, you're not able to take, yeah. you know. So it was one of those situations to where they had to uh, remove us from the home, unfortunately, due to mom not being able to. Uh, you know, the randomness of, of seizures, basically, and strokes. Um, so, which it was understandable, but it was a tough situation. So, my brother and sister and I wound up going to a foster home. It was a good good situation for a while. So, from 10 to maybe 12, 12 to 13, we were in this, you know, foster home. Other kids, 
uh, married couple. But then some things transpired there to where everybody in the home had to leave just due, due to some things that, that um, occurred with the, the foster mm-hmm. family. So from that situation, they split uh, my brother and sister and I up and we had to go to group homes separately. Um, and that was more unfortunate than any situation because now I'm not able to be that provider, that protector for my younger siblings. My, my brother's a year younger, my sister's uh, two years younger. You know, so that was the most challenging time overall. Um, and from there, I, I just viewed it as a situation to where I have to endure this circumstance now, but be better than that circumstance sure. later. So when I was six, yeah, when I was sixteen, I emancipated myself, um, became a legal adult, and you know, just made it work. And uh, today, I'm fortunate to be in a position to where now I assist Department of Social Services to have better independent living programs, have better uh, system to where children are not aging out of foster care and having a lack of resources. And of course, you know, I, I have a private practice. I have a, a community-based center to where I'm providing additional resources to people within that need them. Um, so some of the services I provide include is first-time home buying, restoration of rights, voter registration, uh, LGBTQ seminars for those who need them. Um, because oftentimes, too, you know, those people uh, that LGBTQ population are displaced or kicked out of their homes just due to that, that choice, parents not being able to accept it or relatives um, not being able to accept it. So I, I educate the population on that. Pre-COVID was feeding the less fortunate every third Saturday, but now here in Virginia, uh, you can't do that no more. It's, it's stuff got to be prepackaged and all kinds of stuff because of the COVID situation. You know, so I also do outpatient. And of course, I founded the movement Men to Heal to get men back focused on the overall wellness, our mental, our physical health, and our emotional health. Um, and all of this tied into my journey of when you're in the system, I don't know how it is in your state, but when you're in the system, you got to do therapy weekly. Hmm. Um, so for me, it wasn't a pleasant experience. It felt like a check in the box opposed to a situation of let's ensure that we're processing what's going on. You were just removed from your family. Uh, it could have been trauma. It could have been every, anything, but I just felt the situation was disingenuous and the therapists within that process were older white people or just non-relatable people. Um, so, you know, opposed to giving up on therapy, like a lot of people would have or, or have done, I decided to change it, you know, um, so anyway, when I, when I emancipated myself at 16, I, uh, I lived, I experienced, you know, um, house hop hotels and stuff like that. Why not graduate from high school, you know, able to choose from seven different colleges. So the one I did pick was, uh, St. Paul's college. And this was in nothing, nothing there, <laughs> but just land and one male dorm, one woman dorm. Wow. So no distractions. Yeah. 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 So I, I chose that. For that purpose, because I know I had a bigger mission, but you know, life happened. So being that I didn't have a residence, um, so on winter break, summer break, spring break, and stuff like that, what I would do is sneak back in the dorm because <laughs> my my dorm was on the first floor because uh, I ain't had nowhere sure. else to go. You know, everybody else going home for those breaks. Um, so I was fortunate. You know, I had a car and I kept a um, the microwave, a forming grill, and my clothes in my car. So when people left for those breaks. I just moved back in. Sophomore year, though, I decided I didn't want to do that no more. It has to be more mm. than life. So that's when I joined the Army. So I did eight years, two deployments, one Iraq, one Afghanistan. Wow. 
you know, knew I knew I was different. I wanted to be uh, better for my family, for the people I encounter. So I tried therapy again. Um, and this time it was a similar experience. It wasn't as pleasurable. So, and that's one of the unfortunate reasons too, why a lot of veterans tend to not go to therapy or they'll prefer to go to groups because, you know, oftentimes the therapists are disconnected and, or don't have experience to treat veterans or just no knowledge. You know, it feels like you're a teacher from a book. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so again, I found myself like, oh man, this, this is something that you have to do. So I was able to be in that position to check all boxes. So, um, one of going back to college, got my degree in clinical psychology. Then I got a master's in clinical mental health counseling. And then I got licensed, of course, by the state of Virginia. And the boxes I'm talking about checking is, of course, working with those people in the urban areas who uh, identify as, you know, just not having uh, adequate resources or lack thereof of resources. Mm-hmm. You know, I often I look like the population I'm serving, the men, the veterans, um, just a wealth of knowledge and experience. So it's not just me speaking from case studies I did and or um, the DSM. You know, it's more of a collection of just being eclectic with life experience as well as the knowledge and insight from the educational process. There's a lot here to unpack. I'm going to rewind because I need to get to your emancipation (laughs) at 16. And that realization, but first, just for listeners and viewers, the DSM is basically the Bible when it when it comes to mental health and diseases and disorders. That that's what he's been referencing. I, I've referenced it a few times uh, in the past as well. Your emancipation at sixteen. Where did that thinking even come into play? Where you said at sixteen years old, I'm going to emancipate myself. And you also mentioned knowing you were destined for something greater. When did these two things, like when did that switch go <laughs> for you? So being in a group home uh, or being in a system at that point for, um, let me see. So fr- from 10 to 16, I just seen a lot of things. I heard a lot of things, interacted with different staff members. And I realized um, just from talking to people who were in the group home setting before me. Like, let's say somebody was 17 turning 18, their age out. And, you know, you keep in contact with them. Hey, what's going on? That man just trying to find a job. Where you living at? I don't know, man, mm-hmm. I'm looking. So for me, it was more so like, hey, the system just, you turn 18, then tomorrow you're done. So this is how it was during mm-hmm. that time. I'm, th- I'm 37 now, so, you know, over 20 years ago. And like I said, I work with Department of Social Services now as a consultant in different areas to to make independent living a thing and to make um, college a thing or trade school, all that stuff. But back then, it was more so of me just having insight, like, oh, man. Um, so at 16, I sat on the edge of the bed and just was pondering. Then I realized, like, one of my favorite quotes to this day, uh, something I told myself, like, if they can feed you, they can starve you. So I viewed that in in not only from a a nutritional standpoint, but from a standpoint of life, like they got all the control. In two years, I'm going to just try, you know, I'm going to be starving. Basically, I'm going to have to figure it out. So I was like, nah, I'm going to try to get on it now. So what I did, I did some research, contacted my social worker um, and she said, yeah, you can do that, but the odds wouldn't be favorable because of X, Y, Z. I'm like, listen, in two years, it's going to happen anyway. I'd much rather try to do it now 
that I got control over it and, and I can start making my own way without the rules and regulations of this group home yeah. I'm in. You know, I feel that I'd be more easier and convenient by doing it on myself and navigating it. Um, so she agreed. She, I, I don't know if she brought me the paperwork or I met her at her office and then I just did it. But I, I, I was firm in my decision. I was going to do it anyway. No way I was going to wait till sure. 18 and, <laughs> you know, the next day be done. Um, so yeah, after that, man, I, uh, gave the paperwork to, of course, my school, which was a high school, because at that point I'm my own adult. Right. So all the, you know, all the, the permission slips and the going trips and all that I'm signing, you know, so it just was weird for the teachers who weren't familiar with the process. So that was, that was a humorous time, <laughs> you know, uh, just messing with my teachers, like, Oh yeah, no, nah, I'll be there. Or I'm not coming tomorrow. The PTA, you know, you could just tell me my grades now type situation. So it it was fun back then. I keep in contact with some of my teachers now. We laugh about it, you know, and they still teach and or they retired. They still got relationships. So I go back and speak to to their students if they still in, in there. But um, yeah, it just was a fun time. So I viewed that as me being independent. Mm-hmm. So I was just fortunate to have um, a couple of friends who moms and parents were were cool enough to say ah nah you good man you can stay here tonight or hey we got an extra you know you can sleep in my son room or whatever the case is so that happened up until i went to college and then i just told you what happened when i went to college i was still um homeless or whatever but of course um i was fortunate because my it was one one dorm room (laughs) maybe maybe uh what 20 rooms three floors and mine was that first one right right by the steps <laughs> i was fortunate so i was able to to sneak back in so um yeah you know I, and to be honest with you if i if i didn't go to the army i i may have still done that or um got a job or something hmm. but i viewed the military as you know what i can eat i can earn money and you know i can have benefits to later get my uh education so that's why i chose the military opposed to just finishing school and then figure it out. It was more of a thing that I can do simultaneously. Got it. And, uh, you know, being that the military was one of those things that was providing income, I was able to then send money back home to my younger brother and sister. Um, when you're in the system, the state is supposed to give you funding, but oftentimes you rarely see that funding because, of course, it goes to the group home or the foster, you know, all that mm-hmm. situation. So you may, you know, get some stuff here and there, but I didn't want my sister and brother to be in that position. So, you know, I sent them money to ensure they had uh, clothes and shoes and money for snacks or trips and stuff like that. I mean, I love how, <laughs> you know, for me, it, it's this thing of mindset and effectively taking advantage of the situation that I'm hearing with your journey. I mean, it's a lot. You continue to articulate these benefits of being in a group home and going to the army and you were involved in two tours, right? Iraq and Afghanistan as well. And then you effectively come full circle where now you are, I mean, in a beautiful way and in many ways, giving back to your community. One, being that therapist that you didn't have, right? In the army and and previously. So you've become that person and you've been that person to now give back in, in these different ways. You know, was it something where you just literally said, I have to be that person uh, because I, I didn't see that prior 
in in my life or like again another <laughs> switch uh, flipping the switch moment it, it was it just that simple or were there other things because you know one thing I'll add is that you know one can easily say being in that foster care system going on two tours uh, and and now being a veteran coming out of that there's got to be some trauma involved in there uh and and mixed in there that you know uh it sounds like ultimately you, you know you eventually did begin to address and now as a as a uh, licensed therapist you're being able to do that for others but what you know was there something as simple as saying i got to be the one I got to be that one to be it for my community. Was it that simple or were, were there some other things attached to it? Black Beyond Measure honors and elevates Black creators, artists, entrepreneurs, and others in the Black community. Target holds the community front and center, supporting their products, ambitions, and efforts, and people behind them, encouraging them to thrive. Understanding more about myself and about my wellness helps feed my inner glow. For me, that's a day at the beach listening to the waves. That's it. That's all I need. And honestly, it can look different every day for every other person, but that literally allows me to recharge and get grounded. And those intentional moments of self-care allow me to show up for others. And being there for others is foundational to my practice. Also, connecting with Black men every week has been amazing. I love how these stories have poured into me. I've learned from them and therefore been able to provide it to our community. And it's given us space to enjoy the soft life. Ah, the soft life. Community support is everything. And Target understands what it means to invest, uplift, and celebrate community. Learn more at target.com slash black beyond measure. So I, I wouldn't say it was that simple, but I would say um, a collection of things made me want to try therapy mm. again. You know, uh, not only just from the traumatic situations of my upbringing, the group homes and stuff like that, but of course, as a veteran, I was a, a combat veteran. So my two mm. tours uh, were outside the wire. Mm. The minimum time, of my mission time was we probably did 14 hours per mission, you know, every other day um, outside the wire. And I was a gunner. Wow. So I experienced a lot of different combat and a lot of different uh, traumatic situations. So that definitely was a collection of it as well. Um, But the ultimate deciding factor was just viewing others who were in similar situations and or just people who didn't have an opportunity to go to therapy and see the benefits of what it can do. Um, because now you continuously to vicariously affect the people around you, whether that's your, your, your partner, your children, your, your coworkers, your, um, your fellow veterans, your teammates, just different, different people are affected by the, the impact or the lack of impact that you're willing to do over your own right. life. So just being in a position to want to lead by example. And then of course, yeah, wanting to be that, person to uh, service all of those entities in which oftentimes lack the resources to do it. You know, um, like how many black male therapists, you know, it's not a lot here. And then how many veteran therapists, you know, you know, so I just want to be in a position to not only serve my community, but give back to those who oftentimes lack the availability, um, whether it's being on the bus line or whether it's being um, at affordable rates or just seeing somebody, you know, that's a man yeah. of color. So yeah, all of those things to me was a reason to 
get to where I am, you know, and, and I still got a long place to go. You know, I want to do so much more, um, although I'm doing a lot and I'm going to continuously do that. I love it. I love it. Um, there, there's just a lot of uh, powerful, like these powerful undercurrents of what you're doing and how you continue to expand. And yeah. one of the things, you know, uh, men to heal, I want to get into in one second. But before that, I, I want to speak to uh, one of your TED Talks, Don't Wait for the Eulogy. <laughs> that, that title oh, yeah, in itself yeah. is amazing and and uh, and and impactful. You know, I would just love to know what were your thoughts around that TED Talk. So the TED Talk itself, you know, they reached out based on my movement, and uh, they they allow you to select any topic you want. But for me, being that they reached out based on the movement, because I could have went anywhere with the decision, I could have talked about the tenacity from my upbringing. I could have talked about. Uh, entrepreneurship, but I figured Don't Wait Till the Eulogy was impactful because that's oftentimes what people do and men do uh, when it comes to, again, what my movement stands for, the mental health, the physical health, and overall wellness. Um, so that's how I arrived on that topic. You know, just pondering it, it oftentimes, and I said this within the uh, TED Talk, a, a man will have six to eight people carrying his casket but oftentimes don't have six to eight people to tell him, hey, bro, you true. Wow. Nah, that don't make sense. Or go to the doctor. Or, hey, you might need to talk to a therapist. You know, so don't wait till the eulogy. You know, at the eulogy is where you hear so many great things about this man. And he can't hear none of them now that he transpired to, you know, transition. Um, but when he was here, people oftentimes don't say, oh, man, you drank it too much, you know, or, hey, bro, like, that's a lot of reckless behavior. Or simply, you don't seem like yourself, man. You you want to talk about it? You know, so that's pretty much where that came from. It's just a collection of things that I discussed within that TEDx to not only have the man himself identify things within himself, but the people around him. So it's more of an accountability piece, yeah, you know, because yeah. people, people are watching somebody decrease right now or, you know, like just – be reduced to nothing without stepping in, you know, whether it's fear of how they will view it or um, just not knowing what to say or how to say it. So that's what that was. Like, don't wait to yeah. eulogy, like address it now, hold them accountable now. So that's, that's what that is. I love it. I love it. I mean, that, that in itself is, is impactful. And, you know, it's something I say often where men suffer in silence to your point where you said there's six, eight men that will carry the casket, but you don't have six, eight men that are accountable for you. And I think a lot of that has to do with what we see in society right now. I feel like there's this big tug of war between, you know, something I started with the question at the top, this masculinity, and I love your answer to it because I feel on the one hand, there, there are folks where vulnerability and that that's the heart of this this podcast and the work you're doing, uh, apparently, and that allows for getting that support, asking for that support, creating a community. I mean, community is, you know, more than one person. So even if it were just one more person to come on board with you, you have yourself a little community of, of support and a foundation, right? But then there are other folks that still will stick to these old paradigms of that masculinity trope and unfortunately taking taking masculinity out of the context of how you define it that's similar to how I see how I see it I, I feel you have masculine and feminine energy 
in all beings, however you define yourself, right? And it's how you tap into it. But then you, you know, again, you have folks who still stay with this old, outdated, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, out, outdated way of looking at it where it's still not allowing a lot of men. And I, you know, I, I strongly just on the data, I see that, you know, in particular melanated communities where it's, it's still tough. It's still this thing. Like you, you can see it in certain mainstream conversations where it's, you know, the conversation's turning, but when you come into these melanated communities and you have the talks, you still hear it. You, it still comes out and it's still something that's tough to just overcome. Um, how do you face that uh, with your platform? Is it something um, that you confront often or do, have you seen those changes where, you know, men are starting to kind of shift? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I think I'm in a good position, to be honest with you. So Men to Heal has afforded me to uh, speak all over mm -hmm. the world. I do different conferences. I do different educational sessions. Uh, I just got back this year. Uh, I was speaking in um, Dominican Republic. Last year, I spoke at St. Lucia. A year before that, uh, Germany, you know, so it's different outlets, um, different people all over the world deal with some form of masculine vulnerability, lackness, you know, so whether that's uh, ego, machismo mm -hmm. or whatever other synonymous terms you want to use, but it happens all over the world. It's not just a thing here domestically, right. you know, right. so that's why I've been fortunate that people are reaching out. Um, but how I address it and, and what men to heal is, of course, confronting, educating and allowing men to see something different. So you got to figure like uh, a lot of these things are taught or either shown to where people are just agreeing with it. So one of the things I do, too, is because I understand and I'm licensed and I have the education, um, just educate a lot of people on different diagnoses. You know how many men that I've seen and or. Uh, talk with that still think depression is for women. Hmm. You know, they, they think it's a woman diagnosis. Really? So when I when I educate them on what depression is or trauma or unresolved grief, then they'll be like, oh man, I, I might be depressed. But you know, viewing Hollywood, they will paint this picture as depression as what this small white girl <laughs> sitting on the couch eating a tube right, of ice right, cream right, crying. Right. You know, so that's the perception of what it is. But when you got this group of guys in a room, whether they football players or basketball players. And, you know, they were, I had this one, he's pro. He said, man, I ain't depressed, man. I had seven tackles the other night. You know what I mean? Who hitting like me? Yeah. Um, and I, I hear these things. So I'm, you know, I'm educating them on what depression is, lack of interest and pleasure, you know, um, isolation, you know, not your appetite, your mood and all that stuff. So we dive into it. He started to think, he was like, uh, you know what? I haven't been interested in talking to my teammates after the games or reviewing film. I haven't been eating like I normally eat. Normally, I'll be I'll eat after the gym or whatever. I haven't been doing the gym. All right, cool. So another yeah. symptom. So I'm like, how how you sleeping? You know, when was the last time you got a full night's sleep before practice, after practice, or whatever case is? Man, I try to go to sleep, but I toss and turn throughout mm -hmm. the night. You know, like I got a mm -hmm. lot on my mind. Another symptom. So you know, it just continues to roll on when I normalize the conversation. I'm like, bro, that's depression. There's nothing wrong with it. Now that we know what it is, we can, you know, so, 
you know, that's the education piece of it um, is what I mean. So it's a lot of men who aren't educated, even a lot of women who aren't educated on it to supply that information to the males within our lives. You know, that's part of the issue. Once we can normalize these things and take the stigma away from them, more people, specifically men, will understand, like, I'm tripping. You know, I haven't been myself lately or I haven't been doing what I normally do or interacting who I normally interact with or dang, my appetite has decreased or not been there. And I have been having difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, you know, and just so many things, loss of interest and pleasure or the thought of suicide did enter my mind because I feel so alone or whatever the case is. So again, that education piece and uh, just being the example of displaying vulnerability to make it as a tool um, because it's not a weakness. Like it's something that you should definitely share and have. Um, and being in tune with your emotions does not equate to weakness or soft. You know, so just educating that that process. And I don't educate just only men. I educate the women as well because, you know, they contribute to the notion of what you asked earlier, that vulnerability yeah. piece. I mean, the masculinity <laughs> piece. So it's, it's a handful of women who who would say things or post things or tell another man what masculinity should be or what he has to display as far as masculinity to be in her Mm -hmm. space, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and that can be detrimental as well because now he's trying to achieve or aspire to be what he thinks women want or this particular woman want. And uh, so when I educate women, I, I, I do it in several ways. So, it was this one instance. I was uh, Christmas shopping for my daughter, mm-hmm. right? So I'm in the store. I'm on this aisle. I raised my, my girls to be gender neutral. Like, I'm not, pink is not for girls. Blue is not for boys. It's whatever you're comfortable with, you know? Um, so anyway, I'm looking for toys or whatever the case, and this little boy and his mom was was in the same aisle. And the little boy said, he said, oh, mom, bacon. I want, I want the easy bake oven. And she was like, nah, boys don't do no, she was like, boys don't get easy bake ovens or boys don't bake or something to that, to that effect. So of course I'm like, oh man, that's, he's going to grow up. He's going to have to, you know, he's going to have yeah. to cook. That's a yeah. life skill. Yeah. That's not necessarily a, a gender thing. Um, so anyway, I just mind my <laughs> business, you know, just, just out of it. Two weeks later had passed. Ironically, I'm back at customer <laughs> service at this at this spot, and it looks like the same lady. But this time, she's not with a kid. She's with um, an older mm. male. I'm walking. I'm mad in my business. I'm waiting on customer service to you know tell me my stuff is ready or whatever the case is. So the guy that she's with, this lady that I think was the same lady from two weeks ago, he hit her with, um, hey, hey, babe, what do you want for dinner tonight? Her response was, it doesn't matter. You're not going to cook anyway. We can stop somewhere on the way home. So for me, I paused. I looked back and I was like, oh, man, if that's her, just imagine the cycle that's going to be repeated when she told her son that men don't bake anyway. So if that's your notion, if you can identify that now that you're with this person who's your partner who's not cooking, just think about your son and how that reputation will probably get there. Um, because oftentimes that's what it is. They're told at a younger age that boys don't do that or boys shouldn't cry. So when they grow up, those things are shielded. So it just, to me, was ironic that she'll tell her son that he can't bake or cook or whatever the case is. But now you're dating somebody and you're saying that he's not going to bake or cook anyway. So that it just was ironic. So that's what I mean by women do it as well. 
But uh, to answer your question, back to Mendon Hill, so the speaking engagements, and then I published a book, Man, Just Express mm-hmm. Yourself. Um, and I published that because it's an interactive planet guide for boys and men to better express themselves. One of the issues is people think men don't express themselves. They do. It's just oftentimes not articulated verbally. Right. Like we see that articulation in uh, being promiscuous or reckless behavior or substance use or um, gaming, you know, everything opposed to saying, I don't feel right, you know, or I need to talk to somebody. So it's articulating. It's just not connecting in a way that's oftentimes healthy. So the book, it's over 65 different topics for Hmm. boys and men uh, talking about trauma, grief, uh, abandonment, uh, pride, ego, uh, peer pressure, just so many other different topics. So I give a blurb on it, and then they have the option to write out that answer or draw mm. that answer. So it's it's a phenomenal tool, man. And and a lot of people, specifically the the older uh, married couples who have history, the wife typically buys the book, highlight a couple areas, give it to her partner, and I encourage them to process it over dinner and date night. So it doesn't feel like a chore to him. It feels like something to assist you in getting the answers that you wanted. Um, and that's been working, man. I had this one lady, they've been married uh, 45 years. She said, this is the most my husband ever talked about wow. feelings. Mind you, I'm, I'm I'm 37. So to to read that review on my Goodreads over Amazon, whichever one of them just was like astonishing. Um, so I'm happy that people are getting it too and uh, using it for what it is. And then, of course, I have a lot of moms, uh, single parents and or, or parents with, with their teenage sons who are in that phase of rebellion or whatever the case, they're doing something mm-hmm. similar and they're able to talk with the sons and process like, oh, man, this is what it is. So I'm just fortunate that that tool has been good. And then, of course, I also created a board game for uh, adults and couples. Um, and that's been a good tool as well to get that interaction back uh, so the board game is your typical uh, 18 by 18, which is the same size. It's like a Monopoly okay. board. Um, it comes with uh, two dice, come with pawn pieces, and two different card decks. One card deck is comprised of maybe 50 different date ideas. You know, sometimes people run low on spontaneity. You want to ensure that that fire and that passion is still there. And then the other card deck comprised of different questions that you should ask throughout your relationship just to make sure that y'all growing on the same pace or, you know, y'all got the same intentions for each other. Um, and or if you're just meeting somebody, you want to make sure that we can progress. Um, so it's questions on intimacy. It's questions on finances, family, uh, social issues. You know, so it's so many different questions that you can touch on throughout to know like, oh, yeah, we, we, we think in the same way or no, nah, I'm not really feeling that. Um, and, and most of the questions have comprised for issues or things that I've done within private practice. So I see a couple and they bring up this issue. Some of the questions address that. So I just keep it as authentic as possible. So one of the questions in there, would you take care of me if I, lo- if I left my job? So this also touch on the masculinity piece, because a lot of traditional women feel like a man is supposed to provide, a man is supposed to yeah. have a job. Yep. I'm not taking care yep. of a grown man. Uh, so I put that question in there, and and that was a real-life situation that I encountered when I was doing marriage therapy, marriage counseling for a couple. Uh, so this husband, this couple, uh, married five years, three children, uh, husband assists wife with getting her bachelor's degree, right? 
So you go ahead and knock out your degree or whatever the case is. Boom. Fast forward. Again, five years of marriage, three kids. He put her through school. Boom. She got a job making close to seven to 80. He goes to her and say, all right, hon, I want I want this <laughs> chance turn. now. You doing good. Yeah. Can you take care of the house? Six months. Just six months. I want to get this HVAC cert. After I get this HVAC cert, I can start my own business, more money than what we got now, blah, blah, blah. Logically, you're thinking like, all right, cool. One, it's not four years like you just did. Two, hold me down. It's only six months right. for your husband. Her response, looked him in the eyes. Her response is, I'm not taking care of a grown mm. man. Ignore, ignore the five years of marriage. Ignore the three kids. Ignore the fact that he just paid, what, $80,000 for her degree. Um, and my six months is not compared to your four years, give or take. You know, So all of those things just was like, man, like had he known this prior to, he, one, they may not have been married, or two, they probably definitely wouldn't have, you know, had other arrangements for her getting her degree. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> let me let me just say this board game uh, called Cheesy Dates. I mean, it sounds like an amazing tool um, and very, I mean, very true to life. If it can bring up things like this. And I also heard you actually use questions from this game to propose to your wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's on my YouTube, actually. So one of the things that I do within session for couples who have issues communicating and or uh, may have that fear of asking a question to that partner is called like a fishbowl mm. technique. You come up with 10 questions. I come up with 10 questions. We put them in this bowl or shoebox or hat or whatever, and we pull them. We ask each other honestly, get the feedback, no judgment, no issues, no attitudes. But what I did uh, in my proposal was use that same <laughs> technique. So she thought it was a demo for the just to go on YouTube. Um, but one of the questions I put in there was, would you marry me? <laughs> and ironically, that was her first question. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, it was just so weird. So what I had to do was continue as if we're still um, just answering the questions or whatever the case is. And I just asked her, hey, so what was your best question or what was your favorite question? So that's how I was able to propose. So when she said, of course, my favorite question was the one when you asked me to marry you. So I was like, well, would you? Like, so I pulled the ring out and, you what? know, yeah, but it's all on my YouTube, men to hear. I mean, if that ain't a selling point, <laughs> I don't know what is. I love that, James. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, you have a lot of amazing tools. You are impacting your community in a lot of beautiful ways. And you just continue to expand. And I love seeing it. And I want to you know, continue following your journey and seeing you through that. My last uh, thing before I let you go, because... I feel like there's so much here to unpack. What does a daily routine of wellness and since your, you know, your your journey there's been so much your tools that you offer in the wellness space are so impactful. What do you do for a typical day to, you know, balance out that mental, physical, spiritual and or on on a daily basis? Yeah. So for me, I do uh, a lot of exercise. I run often, a couple miles. And <laughs> what I started doing maybe 10 years ago or so is trying to get um, a 5K in as many countries as I can. So right now my list, 
my list is up to 20. So I have 20 countries in which I did at least a 5K in. So, of course, that's that's one way. But I also do kickboxing. I've been kickboxing for about a decade now. Um, two years ago, pre-pandemic, I was going to enter to do my first fight. But, of course, the pandemic happened, so I took that as a sign. <laughs> so, I'm not, you know, so now it's, it's just, you know, it's just me training to ensure that I'm healthy and uh um, you know, just overall yeah. that, but I, I would have liked to have fought, but yeah, it's, I, I view the pandemic as a sign like now. Nah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I still spar with, of course, the people in my gym and, and do it now just for, um, overall fitness reasons. Um, but something else I do is, um, interact with my family, man. I like to annoy my two <laughs> daughters. Um, uh, one is 16, one is 11. Um, hang with the wife, you know, just do a lot of self-care in that regard, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm low key, man. Like my, my life is low stress. Um, family is good and healthy and whole. So I don't really have any issues, but you know, I stay out the way. I just try to ensure that other people are, are seeing this healthy example. I love it. I love it. And it, you know, it, I feel the low stress and I feel, you know, your service is probably one of the biggest things that is just inherent in your routine that you don't even consider routine because I mean, you're, you're like, for me, you're like this beacon of wellness in, in how you go about these tools and your work and your efforts and your journey. And even speaking about <laughs> how you annoy your daughters, I know you mean that out of love in the best way possible. And I could, I, I could just feel that, you know, as a, as a fellow girl dad. Yeah. You know, as a, as a parent, you think you're doing things that are cool, but to them it's like, so that's yeah that's what i mean by knowing like to me it's it's all good but to them it's like yo yeah yeah know, i mean we don't do that but it's yeah so that's what i mean by knowing. Yeah. yeah not 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 literally picking them yeah, yeah. i love it i love it james this this has been a great conversation and you know i hope folks pick up some of the things you've been putting out there in this conversation and the tools and the tools for that matter. Is there anything else? I mean, you, you've, you've dropped plenty, but is there anything else you'd love to tell the good people that you're working on that's coming out or just to emphasize? Yeah, yeah. So to be honest with you, I think one of the things that people can do too is uh, ignore the perception of mm -hmm. others. And, you know, this is not specifically the men, but of course, women as well. Everybody who's in that mind state of um, other people's opinion yeah. matter. Now, ignore the, the perception of others. Do what's best for you in those situations, whether it's um, working on yourself, getting help. Don't let those stigmas affect you based on the other people's opinion. Um, and if you need any other resources or got questions or something that you heard here or just want the tools that I provide, then of course, you can go to my website, www.mentoheal.com, www.mentoheal.com. And of course, that will lead you to my social media. You can subscribe to my YouTube. You can purchase the book. You can purchase the shirt. The hat. Um, you can purchase the board the game. Yeah, the hat. Everything. <laughs> Are you rocking yeah. right now? Yeah. So, Yep. And also on my website, mentor.com is a resource list. Mm. If you are in a different ge geographical location, you can uh, find a, a therapist, find a therapist of color, a therapist of 
just you can put one together mm. basically um and and or if you're homeless or suicide it's so it's so many different resources on my website uh that can benefit but that you can benefit from and of course there's a speaker request form on my website too for the people who want to continue to book me to come and do presentations and or uh trainings you know diversity equity inclusion trauma mental health all those different things i love it james i love it thank you again so much for this conversation you are again beacon of wellness and resources and um i love it good people Make sure you connect with James on the socials, the YouTube, his website, as he mentioned. There's so much, <laughs> there's so much there and so many resources for you. Once again, that this has been amazing. And uh, listeners, viewers, don't forget to tell another brother, king, or queen about man to man so we can keep the wellness revolution moving forward just like we did today. Plus, if you're liking what you're hearing, give us those five stars, leave us a dope review you want to hear somebody like James, hit me up on Instagram at Waziki, W-A-S-I-C-K-I. Till next week, peace, love, and education.